So today we're going to talk about serverless at Ajero. Before I go into this, I just want to do a quick pulse check. How many of you are using serverless or dabbled in serverless? A good 20% of the 30%. How many have production workloads in serverless? Most of them, the same. How many of you know about Ajero, what we do? <laughs> the first line, <laughs> we have a few people. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> we have like 10 people, out of which six of us are from Ajero, I guess. <laughs> um, it's interesting. So um, I'm Raj Bahara. I'm the VP of engineering, um, working on new product, um, product development, implementation, vision, vision, and things like that. Um, and and uh, today we are going to talk a little bit about Ajero. What is the industry we're in? For most of you, it's probably new. You may have used it, um, used the services that we provide in a very white label kind of way. So um, the services that we provide are. Uh, vehicle breakdown assistance. If you're on the side of the road or if you had a minor accident and things like that, the kind of dispatching, um, the orchestration that goes behind uh, in, mo on, in most of these distressful scenarios, it's um, predominantly done by us. Uh, so you may have some kind of a relationship with your automotive company or your insurance company, but uh, when the service, when you actually pick up the phone or call or use your app to request roadside assistance, um, or any kind of other um, breakdown assistance, uh, that's kind of fulfilled by Jero. Uh, we also do accident management. So if, you if you're in an accident, you call your insurance company, and uh, that um, part of the claims process is done by us as well. Um, and we have been working on t in telematics for like 20 years. Uh, we work in vehicle telematics, um, and more recently in the past uh, two to three, uh, three years, we uh, started developing a solution that uses uh, that does telematics using mobile phones. So that is which, which is predominantly what we are going to talk today and how we implemented it all on serverless. Um, so uh, we do, um, from vehicle breakdown assistance, we, we cover almost 80 million customers uh, in US. Three out of every four new vehicles are covered by us. Um, we cover 11 of the top 15 insurance companies. And um, we also, count uh, pretty big brands on our um, list. Uh, I, I could have put a lot more of those brands only if I had <laughs> space there. Um, doing all of this at Ajero, we have been a 45-year-old company, and um, we manage a lot of data centers and things like that. But more recently, in the past uh, four or five years, we have started looking at the cloud and started moving into the cloud. And I will talk about a little bit about how our journey to Ajero or to serverless happened. So in 2013, beginning of 2013, we had like, what is it, three data centers, and we were managing a lot of that compute, all new development, everything on uh, using the traditional data centers. Um, going to 2014, I think middle of 2013, we started using AWS, and we said, okay, we're going to put as much as possible new stuff into um, AWS and you leverage the cloud. And we started to move our uh, skill set, train people, and do all of that. And we started moving it in a very traditional way, lift and shift, moving it into um, the new uh, developmental stacks. And as we proceeded um, into 2015, uh, and we saw Lambda as in preview, we said, oh my god, let's jump on this. I mean, why are we even uh, configuring servers in, in the cloud? So we started doing all new development in um, uh, on serverless in Lambda. 
that worked out very, very good for us. So we started in 2016, we said, let's migrate whatever we can. Again, most of you, if you know that, um, if you're a co large company with um, 10, 12, 15 years old legacy applications, it's very hard to migrate everything. So um, we took whatever we can, mostly the peripheral applications, and migrated them, rewrote them into, uh, on serverless. So th that worked out very good. And then uh, as we moved into 2017, we said, we're going to start building most of our core business applications on serverless. So the, we, we are in the middle of something. So that will be a, in the future, hopefully if you're successful, we'll do another talk about that. Um, so, but with all of this, today we are gonna focus on something, um, a platform that we built in the last um, over probably a year, year and a half um, from ground up and um, it does around crash detection and response. Uh, when we talk about crash detection, it is using your mobile phone, using the data uh, that the sensors provide, using them and trying to infer if there was a crash, if there was a vehicle crash, um, by if the driver is carrying the phone, uh, and being able to respond to that um, and send emergency services, uh, emergency services and, um, and dispatch assistance, and provide dispatch assistance. So that's one. And as we have a lot more of this information coming uh, through the pipes, we started to also understand the data that is coming through and say, hey, how can we make the drivers better? How can we make um, the drivers drive safer? Maybe coaching them and providing the insights of how you drive or how much you use your phone while you drive maybe makes people to start to think, oh, maybe I should not do this. It's unsafe, right? So being able to provide, that, uh, provide those numbers and data to back to the drivers. And we're going to talk a lot about how we did this on serverless. So there will be, uh, we'll, we'll go into the architecture um, of how we did it um, and how we are improving it today. And uh, certainly, we'll have a Q&A about it. So feel free to ask whatever you can. And I'll try my best. Um, so crash detection, how does this work? We take a bunch of uh, sensor data. We detect when somebody starts driving, when somebody um, uh, is not driving, uh, just monitoring the app. It's, it's a hands-off application. So once you install it, once you set it up, um, very frictionless flow, and you will, you will start uh, collecting the data um, without consuming your battery too much, um, following all the best practices by uh, iOS and Android guidelines. And once you have the sensor data coming in, you need to have a very robust pipeline to process them get the heuristics out of that, and also provide intelligence out of it. How do we mine the intelligence out of the sensor data? Usually sensor data has a lot of bias that creeps into it. There is uh, all kinds of anomalies that uh, creep into um, data that streams into it. So we gotta clean, clean it, make it better, and then you start using, uh, create features out of that. And then once we understand the sensor data very well and we know what is good sets of data and things like that, then we start seeing how we can detect or predict accidents uh, from the sensor data. And all the data we collect, we also like to try to detect what kind of driving behavior patterns people usually have. So when we talk about automotive crashes, um, in US, in the last three, four years, if you see this, from 2014, um, it started creeping up. And again, most of you can probably guess why. Um, because smartphone penetration just kept increasing, and with that, that uh, continued to increase 
the crash rates and uh, fatalities. So the problem with that is when you don't have a robust response system, just like everyone is using a good uh, cell phone trying to text while driving, if you don't have a robust response system as good as that, as sophisticated as that, then you will start um, losing precious minutes to save lives. So from the moment 911 gets a call, for somebody, a dispatcher to send somebody to the location, to pass that all that information, the location of where the crash happened to um, who has to, uh, which um, dispatcher, uh, which uh, police, EMR, EMS, and what kind of facilities need to be dispatched, it almost takes like seven minutes in rural areas and three and a half minutes in urban areas. So our goal was how can we decrease that down to, say, 30 seconds? And by just decreasing to 30 seconds, we would be able to save up to 3,000 lives annually. So we said, okay, how do we solve this problem? Well, we don't want to implement, go ahead and implement everything. So we said, okay, let's start understanding if even mobile phone sensor data is good enough to detect an accident. So we did something fun. We rent, bought a bunch of cars, um, rented a sled, and <laughs> runways, and crashed a bunch of cars. And the fun part is, if you see it in this car, in this video here, they, we equipped with um, dozens of phones in every way possible, and um, we created a very scientific experiment uh, set. And we did, did this a couple of times with iOS, Android, and collected all the sensor data. We created um, very good test phones. And this, is, this was one of the first things when we did, collecting all this data on serverless. This was kind of a POC. POC for that, POC for serverless, POC for using all of the managed services in AWS. Um, we collected all this information, and then we gave it to our data science team, and, this, and we said, tell us if there is something. And our data science team came back and said, you know what? Yeah, there is something. All right, so we did the crash testing. Then we said, okay, they, the science is kind of developed. I mean, the problem with crash detection is not detecting an accident. I mean, you throw the phone, yeah, it'll kind of tell you there was a huge impact on the phone. But the challenge was around bringing all the false positives completely down. You don't want EMS or police to arrive at around the road and say there's no accident on the side of the road. So we said, okay, but there is something here, so let's go ahead and do this. Um, and then we realized, oh, all this crash testing, we had fun as engineers and scientists, all the, everyone, we all like to play with toys, but are real crashes in real world are the same as the ones that we do, uh, that we found in the crash tests? There's no way to find out. I mean, you cannot do this, right? You cannot put somebody else <laughs> in a car and test this. So we said, okay, maybe we have to create a consumer application, let everyone download that application, and the application runs. There is some kind of an incentive for the users to use the application. Let's create that incentive, gamify that, and then ask people if they were ever in a crash or things like that so we don't introduce any bias into our data. And we get a lot of natural driving data so we can create driving behavior to users and understand just from naturally um, uh, people driving without thinking that, oh, big brother watching kind of stuff, um, how they drive. And once we provide insights, how they drive, right? So we collect a lot of driving history. And then 
if we have real stuff, then we'll launch something um, like crash prevention and um, detection. So we recently launched it, and we'll go into how we did this. So for, for us to be able to do all of this, we said, oh my god, going into the shareholders or going into the senior management and saying, we're going to build all of this now. So it has to be very, very quick, and it has to be very easy for us to implement from an operations um, standpoint. So all the dollars that we had were going towards developing the product. So we said, okay, serverless is the way to go, and let's build as much as possible, everything as on serverless. And that's where we said, Driver360 or D360 as a platform on serverless. And one of the big things that we found as we did this is, if you see this, the blue line shows uh, US traffic all over US, all 50 states, um, and by the hour, how it moves. Um, there's actually a good line there, right? And our compute in Lambda usage, uh, compute usage in Lambda, it scales almost as smoothly, <laughs> um, and it goes down. So as we did this, we understood more and more on why when we build an application like MyLab, why we were doing this. Initially, we said, OK, this is easy. Let's do it. And then as we started to build it and deploy it, then we said, oh my god, there is a lot more that we can achieve from this. And I want to go into why. Um, it allowed us to do it in eight, uh, eight weeks. From since conception and we got our designs ready, our teams just worked through it. And within six weeks, we had a working application. And we said, we're not going to wait. We're going to just roll it out. So in eight weeks, we rolled it out. It was so fast, we launched with just an MVP. And I'll talk about the features, what we launched with. We launched very, very with, with a bare-bone set of features that will allow us to improve on it. And over the course of six months, we launched over 50 features. And these are pretty big, big features, right? Um, and the thing is, we didn't spend much time scaling it. It scaled um, almost elastically. The, there are some things that we learned around, uh, around it, the sleepless nights, but I will talk about those. The beautiful about this is the beauty about this is we were able to create very unique experiences. Almost for small segments of people, we were able to personalize them. People who don't want to get notifications, people who don't want to do, uh, don't want to open the app, or they just forget about the app. People who don't want to um, uh, use some features in the app. Um, those kinds of things. And people who were really happy, they were talking about it, people who were very social, we let them actually share it so, so, socially. So we were able to personalize most of those experiences. And of course, personalization comes with a lot of A-B testing. You will not know if you're not testing it, right? And along the way, when, when you're trying to crowdsource data and collect a lot of this information, you have to make the experience very frictionless. How do you make a frictionless experience? Only by iteration. You cannot assume that something is going to work. So we refine each of those micro interactions from every push notification to what screen it opens, what, does, what do you do, everything. Every one of those were refined over and over to create a very good experience. And in the end, we didn't spend a lot of time on ops. So it was almost like an ops-less world. So th this made us think a lot of the, make more, more, more and more decisions in 2017 around going and doing more sort of the things, things on serverless. Um, next, I'm going to go into a little bit of our, 
of how we started creating our architecture. So the first thing is we have to collect crash reports. That means people, if they were in a crash, they're just going to submit a report from the app. Um, occasionally, we would send um, uh, messages using Pinpoint to asking people if they were in a crash, so people would not forget about the app. So we use that. Uh, any crash reports that we get, the data goes into DynamoDB and uh, straight from the application, and then all um, assets, pictures, uh, police reports and things like that would go into S3, and then we use the data that we collect, and we look at what if we have detected those accidents. It l if these accidents look like the accidents from the crash test, if they're not, then okay, let's retrain it because this is a true event. We validated it, and then we update the crash model. So there is a little bit of if you see there is Zendesk. Almost every crash report that got filed we had extensive questionnaires that were answered by our um, support staff by talking to the people. And we incentivized everyone to get like $250 for each of those crash reports that they submitted once we were able to uh, uh, validate the authenticity of those. So that's the first part. And then to roll it out, we had to collect a lot of the data. We need to know when, you're start, when you start driving, when you're driving, what is the data that you're, where are you going? Uh, if there was a crash, we had to collect the raw crash data. So we launched the app with uh, authentication for Cog with Amazon Cognito, uh, load the trip metadata straight into Dynamo, push the trip log data into S3, obviously all kinds of messaging with uh, Pinpoint. And then the data that we had in S3, we started to cleanse it pre-process them, cleansing, and understanding if there is um, a quality that we have associated with it. Quality becomes a pretty big thing with most of the Android phones. Um, we had to create personal, uh, different algorithms for Android phones. And then there is fraud checks. Are people really trying to fraud the system? And I'll tell you why people were doing that uh, in a little bit. So we process that, we write all of that clean trip data back to S3, and then we realized that some of these trips are not getting processed in Lambda because Lambda has time limitations. Lambda has memory limitations. There were Uber drivers driving with, driving the, with the trip, and they, were, they had like eight-hour trips. So it was very quick for us to immediately create something, create an ECS, EC2 cluster, run all of those through queues, Batch processing, all the Lambda failures were also getting processed in real time, though it's not within seconds, right? And then we had to engage the users. They were giving all this data to us. We we're crowdsourcing it, awesome. But how do we engage them? How, what is the incentive for them? So we said, okay, let's create a game engine. So we created a very, very quick um, game engine in Aurora, uh, in the, using Aurora as the database, and then um, use Lambda to create all the APIs. And for every mile you drive, we gave you some points, and people with different tiers and um, got different points. People had challenges. If you finish um, 26 miles or 52 miles in a day, you would get extra points. There were challenges we created them on the, uh, on the game engine, and they would get extra points. So we created all of that within that. And then Apple comes along and says, you guys are collecting data in the back end, but you have to expose whatever data you're collecting back to the users. 
sure, fine. So immediately we rolled up a couple of machine, uh, methods and functions in Lambda, and then we exposed the whole trip history back to the users so they can see what we are collecting. Um, full transparency back to the users. And then users really wanted to get those points and redeem for gift cards. So we said, we'll, we work with a partner of ours, Giftbit, and for every, um, I think uh, we had different currency um, exchanges, but we were able to give money, uh, gift card, true gift card money back to the users in real time. So if you drive um, a minimum of $5 worth of miles, and you can redeem for a gift card almost instantaneously. And all of this was within seconds. And we, we rolled this all out within four weeks of actually launching. So the, in the first week, we did not have the gift cards. But as soon as we launched, people started aggregating points. They did not understand, oh, when am I going to get the gift cards? But it's a great thing. If you don't have enough points, you don't need to see the gift cards. <laughs> So the, by, the first, by the time the first person actually accrued enough miles, we had the gift cards working. <laughs> so that was awesome. So uh, all of this just gives us the flexibility of being able to roll what you want when you want, almost with great collaboration, because this will help us. This helped us tremendously. So, we collected all, a lot of this information, and we said, this is treasure trove of natural driving data, so maybe let's look at driving styles. Like, can we put a person who speeds a lot to a person who breaks late? Um, I'm a late breaker. So uh, to a person who is a very safe driver, always um, drives within the speed limit on the road, let's understand if we can create some kind of driving style. So three months into launching it, we said, okay, we got three months worth of national driving data, so everyone that is still on the app will get a dashboard one, when they wake up one morning. And we pushed a pinpoint message, and everyone opened it and said, holy, I am a highway <laughs> hero or <laughs> street demon. <laughs> Different kinds of, our marketing team, they did an amazing job of coming up with these things, uh, personas, and um, yeah, highway boss. Um, and people started loving, and people started sharing these things. And then we said, oh, we're giving these points. I think we need to give them a little more insights. So that is where we started doing something with uh, handling. So we started looking at how do you handle? How, what kind of acceleration? How kind of brayer? Do you really corner hard? Um, do you use the phone a lot? Do you, if you're making a phone call over Bluetooth, that's nice. Everyone does that, and it's great. But are you texting? Are you typing? Are you trying to browse? or are you trying to um, just dial phone numbers? So we are able to now mine a lot of that uh, sensor data uh, from accelerometers, gyroscopes, parameter gyroscopes, and um, uh, the barometer, uh, um, the magnetometer, all of that data, and we were able to create these other features that we were able to start sharing. And as soon as, you, as pe people saw these things, now they, you can start to see the Hawthorne effect where people started to drive better. So there was a significant number of people, up to 15% of the people or so, who were like, did not want to use the app. <laughs> They're like, oh, you, you know way too much. And then the rest of the people are like, oh, this is awesome. I, I want to really, really want to use this. So, so let's talk about how we generate these scores. I mean, generating scores, understanding where people have been, 
What, was that a real trip? Um, were people just running, but biking, trying to understand trip mode, putting speed limits and things like that? Um, so we had, um, we had an architecture just builds off of what we did in the past, which was we clean the trip data, we keep it, we started doing some of the gamification stuff, and we said, okay, let's extract more features out of that, trip, clean trip data. So immediately we uh, had an uh, OpenStreetMap cluster, and uh, we started map matching all the location data and also understanding street context from the location data. So we know uh, what kind of road you, roads you drive more. We know what, uh, do you uh, follow the speed limit all the time. Um, do you, we know, do you go through school zones more? Things like that. So we were trying to, we tried a lot of that context, added that. And then we took the sensor data from it and we said, we can probably start understanding how, whether you use the phone or not, uh, whether you're a driver, whether you're a passenger, things like that. Um, some of them with very high confidence, some of them with lower confidence where we did not have enough data, and then we started improving them. Very fast iterations. And then handling. Handling is about how fast you accelerate, how fast you brake, how uh, hard you brake, um, and how hard you corner. Uh, pull all those features and then put them all together in S3 and Dynamo, and then understanding speed and things like that, doing additional calculations on top of it, um, and push them to a scoring engine that we ran on Spark. We used Databricks for it, managed again. Uh, you can see the theme here, everything is managed. Um, and then we created a number of driving scoring models, driver scoring models, and we said, okay, which one is working better? Which one is giving us the right feedback? And we continued to improve that. So once we started providing that, then we again started writing um, updates on scoring back into Dynamo, and immediately we made it available back into the game engine so we can create new challenges around it. Um, people who don't speed up must speed much for, for a week. If you stay within the speed limit for a week, you get extra points. Again, you get more gift cards. So, and then we exposed all of that back to the apps. On, on one side, we provided the insights to the app, and on the other side, people started to understand the game. So if you remember, I said there was fraud. This is where it comes. Now people started frauding it because there were challenges. <laughs> so um, we had to immediately work on our fraud algorithms and uh, update those to counter them. So now that we had a lot of that data around crashes and driving national driving, national driving data and driving behavior, we said our crash algorithms may have gotten better because not many crashes happen on a day-to-day -day basis. So into, what is five months, four months into it, we had tons of crashes and we updated all our models and we created a new model out of all of that data. And it so happens that we look at the test data and augment that with the and real crash data, merge them, all, merge them all, and we have a pretty good algorithm. So we said, Maybe we should make it commercial. Maybe we should actually provide response to the users. I mean, the users have been great. They, well, we incentivized everyone to you know, use our app. But on top of it, they still are using it and they're providing it. So why don't we provide this as a service to everyone? So we said, let's start implementing the response system very quickly. So we implemented something called crash detection and response as a beta. Um, and again, the same thing. We have candidate data frames. We have algorithms on the mobile phone that run and detect 
um, and those algorithms uh, get updated nightly. Uh, we understand if you're uh, if you're stopping at a frequent stop, and it's not if you're um, stopping at a quick stop or a traffic stop and things like that. So we know that if there are crashes happening at that location, even though you're not driving, it could be a crash. So we understand the, those contexts and. On the mobile phone, once we detect a crash, we send a, data, a candid data frame back, and then that frame gets um, piped into Lambda to run. Lambda run, um, loads the model, models from S3, and um, yeah, it does some kind of processing and things like that. It writes, writes the clean data back into S3. And all the events are written back into Dynamo. And if there is a positive crash, very unfortunate, but if there is a positive detection, then we have to handle it. So we make an automated call out of out using Twilio. And if the user says, I need help, or if the user doesn't respond, we, we send it to our contact center. We have a triage center that manages all these accidents already. So we said, let's leverage them. So we have a triage center that takes these calls today. And that uh, is built on Amazon Connect. And it takes the data. From Lambda, again, the same, the same database provides that. So in some cases where the user has to, for whatever reason, we did not detect it. The candidate frame did not detect it. The user can use the SOS button, and it immediately connects it back into our, our triage centers. And on top of it, we'll also retrieve the data and provide all of that. And we can use all of that to, again, update the crash models. So you're going to see, a, hopefully, a live demo of this. Our contact center is not very really happy that we are trying all these things out on, on live stage. <laughs> we are the most hated people now. Um, so we, we were able to do a lot of these things. So um, in, in the span of last, uh, we announced it last year at reInvent. We announced MyLab at reInvent as a customer launch a partner with uh, Pin, Amazon's Pinpoint. Um, and since then, we have done a lot of these things, as you can see uh, in the timeline. And um, more recently, we started uh, doing the beta test uh, for automa autom automatic crash notifications. So now I want to talk a little bit about what kind of patterns we'd use for serverless at Jira. Web apps, any kind of mobile backend, web backends, all data science. Data science is it's a pretty hard thing to put into production. I mean, if anybody of you have done it, creating the models is one part, but actually being able to provide the predictions in real time and um, making, it, making the experience so frictionless and being able to use the intelligence is very hard. And I think Lambda serves very, very good because it's, it's, you can actually do um, breakdowns and roll-ups and you can scale very, very quickly on it. So you, can, you may need a lot of computing power, but if you're able to break down your algorithm and parallelize it in Lambda, wow, it, it does great. And a lot of the data processing. Uh, when we started using Lambda, there was no step functions. So we had to create our own data pipelines in Lambda using the traditional the, the DynamoDB, SNS, DynamoDB streams. And we created a whole you know, set of functionality that mimics step functions. right? And uh, the, same, the same is the case with communication. Uh, we started using Pinpoint. Um, before that, we were trying to build all of that user analytics me messaging that was catered um, using SNS. The other part that we do, again, at, uh, um, is managing all our serverless 
and the server infrastructure using serverless. All of those are automated ops. So today, we, in my team, we don't have any operations folks, but we do have like a couple of cloud ops people just to manage the costs. Um, our footprint. The serverless footprint we have, if you look, we have uh, two and a half petabytes of data objects that we collected from um, MyLab. We do close to um, 100 million API requests. Um, we, don't, we don't do use a lot of APIs. Almost every API is a user interaction. Um, Cognito scale great when we had uh, users, we exploded. We exploded when people understood that gift cards were real. Initially, people were like, oh, this is probably some kind of a fraud or fake thing. And as soon as people, the first few people got the gift cards and they posted it um, on social media, it just exploded and everything just started scaling. So some of the things that we had was the DynamoDB IOPS were not configured as much to scale as fast as Lambda was scaling. So, <laughs> so we had to go and reconfigure some of those things. Um, and we had almost, we do almost a billion, um, over a billion um, com compute requests into Lambda per month now. Um, and as you can see, most of our uh, compute hours, I think we do uh, close to 130 billion compute units or something, um, because we use higher memory uh, Lambda as well because some of our trips are um, bigger, bigger trips, have a lot more data, a lot more sensor data, GPS data, and things like that. So, and we use a lot of partners. Again, if you see, most of our partners are all managed services. So, next up, I think we'll talk a little bit about our crash uh, de detection demo. So this is a real crash, except we didn't crash any cars. So, we randomly picked a crash that actually happened and uh, we created a small test harness that uh, mimics as of the crash happened because it's very hard to fool the algorithm. It has to be a real crash. <laughs> so we did, and we didn't obviously, we did not injure anyone. So next up, I uh, have my colleague, Janine, who will be doing the crash demo for you guys while I get some water. Can I switch that? Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so my name is Janine Booten. I'm VP of Marketing for Ajero, and I'm actually filling in for our principal software engineer, Dev Pelikataki, today. So bear with me. I have some big shoes to fill. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to it. So did you push three? Push it again. It's awake. There we go. Okay. So as you can see, the MileUp app is on the phone and it's just running in the background for this demo purpose. Um, all right, so let's bring this app to life. And as Raj explained, um, the MileUp's accident uh, detection and response is a four-step process. Um, so to show you, we're gonna simulate a crash. with This handy dandy button, bam. So the app's detecting the accident and it's uploading the event data to the MyLab platform as we speak. Um, we should receive a call any second now. There it is. 
hello? Give it a second. Hello, Mile Up Accident Alert has detected an accident from your mobile phone. If you have been in an accident, please press one. So we're gonna press one if and no confirm. So now we've confirmed our accident. They're transferring, well we will be transferred to a live agent. You can hear it ringing now. Take this it off call here. and any subsequent related calls may be recorded or monitored for quality control purposes. This agent has no idea we're doing this demo. <laughs> Hello, this is Daniel with Myelup. We did receive a notification that you were in an accident. Is everybody okay? Hi, Daniel. This is Janine from Ajero. I'm actually doing a live demo in front of about 150 people. So say hello. All right. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel, so much. Bye. All right. You're very welcome. Goodbye. And that, that concludes our demo. But as you could see, the um, first response time to get a live agent on the phone was about 20 seconds. So Raj mentioned previously, the notification time to notify emergency services after the event of a crash in rural areas can take up to seven minutes. In urban areas, it can take up to three and a half minutes. That's a lot of precious minutes when it comes to potentially um, detrimental accidents. So we're you know, really excited with these results and hopefully you know, we'll see um, it has the potential to save lives. If I was unable to respond to that, so if the, the app detected a crash, um, it started the process of, of notifying the, um, our contact center, and I did not respond to that call. Um, so say during the crash, my phone was knocked away from me, or I was even knocked unconscious. It actually um, it, it will transfer directly to emergency services. So it's, it's saving, you know, that'll be done in about 30 seconds. So it's saving. Um, potentially you know, six and a half minutes in some cases, um, which we're really excited about again, and you know, it, just, it proves that MileUp could be a true lifesaver. Um, and we're really excited about the possibility of making our roads safer through the app. So with that, I conclude the demo. I'm gonna um, hand it off to Raj for questions, and thank you. Thank you, Janine. Okay. So we'll talk a little about what we learned. It's a mindset. Serverless is a, is a mindset because it's, once you get into it, it's hard to get out of it. Then it is still growing, it's still changing. There's a lot of change happening in the serverless world. So prepare to augment what is already there in serverless. The example is when we wanted to run these large package, package trips that we are getting and serverless was not working, then we augmented it by adding an EC2 cluster and using SQS to manage all that, um, all those trips. And at the same time, when we did not have um, some, level, some kind of data um, flow that we had implemented, so we augmented it ourselves, and then, and then step functions came. So prepare, prepare to instrument a lot, because as our teams learned, and at the same time as you're augmenting and adding other things next to it, 
instrumentation helps you understand which part of it is uh, not working or working great. It's extremely flexible. And it's awesome because product managers to everyone love flexibility, not at a lot of cost. But there is a cost that comes with flexibility. Everyone starts to do whatever they want. So start thinking about how you can modularize and how you can um, create small buckets of uh, functions and things like that and cataloging them. So we're not all doing this, repeating some of the work that other people have done. So you have to make, make that. And that will be extremely useful once you start doing that. And then start anticipating what kind of um, load or scale you want to look at, how much you are planning for. It's not because Lambda or uh, any of the managed services have uh, limitations. It's about how, how much you're asking your uh, AWS support team to actually um, provision you for, right? Provisioning is, a, is one, and then you have to manage your auto scale and other kind of alerts and things like that, so you know when to scale up as quickly as you want. Next. So it was great. It was great building everything on AWS and serverless and using all of these things for Mylab. And today we are going to say, a year from last year when we launched, we're going to say we're going to offer this for whoever is going to sign up in the next 24 hours. Thank you. And I have to put this. Please complete your evaluations. And now Q&A. Any questions? I'll try to answer. Yes. Yeah. So the question was, what is the longest initialization time for our lambdas? So um, we do have, uh, we did face some issues around cold starts. Um, Cold starts in different regions and things like that, yes. Um, the way we augmented or <laughs> worked around it is by creating um, uh, transactions that were keeping it warm. We had uh, API calls that would keep it warm, synth synthetic calls, basically. Any questions? Sorry? Right. So if I understand the question. Yeah, so the, the, whatever you saw today, um, there is a whole path where if the driver did not answer the phone call or there's a whole experience, if you use the app, you'll get it, which is, uh, it'll automatically send notification using Pinpoint, and then the, inside the app there is a 30-second um, response timer which uh, kicks in, and you can provide a lot more information around that. Um, we also are looking to augment that product feature set with a lot more other things as we understand um, what kind of accidents, what type of impacts, almost things I cannot talk about yet. <laughs> you can imagine. Yes. How large is the team? Yeah. 
So we have um, data scientists of a dozen or so data scientists, and the rest of the engineering team is around 20 people across mobile to um, the back end to the web. So we had uh, an, a few of the web, web applications as well. Yeah. Um, yes, we did. Um, from code package sizes in Lambda to um, initialization time sometimes. And I think one of the things I really wanted to think about putting it, but I did not want to get too much in detail, is scope management. Um, many people start, you, if you start working with Lambda, um, you don't think about scopes as something very serious, but I think scopes help a lot on how uh, efficiently your Lambda runs. Um, machine learning frameworks are one of the big ones because they're big frameworks and they could be in the memory all the time, so yeah. We selectively uh, used part of libraries, part, partial libraries, um, and we worked with um, the solution teams uh, to make it better for us. Um, there is ways to do most of the things, like uh, our map matching, which is running an OSM cluster, but if you think about map matching for like very large um, trips, like hours of uh, three hour long trips, uh, it'll take, it's a very computer intensive operation. So uh, we, could, we could have run it like in a 100 node cluster, on, um, but what we chose is we said, okay, we're gonna solve it by just breaking down the trip and parallelizing in Lambda, and then rolling it all back up. So that worked once we figured it out, figured out the architecture, rolled it out, uh, it works. So most of the things are, you, you, the reason why I say it's a mindset is you have to figure out, okay, there is a way to do it, but you, as long as it is parallel, we can parallelize it, we can do it. Yes. Yes, that, sorry, yes, that was Lambda, yes. Yeah, I think we uh, scaled up, uh, when, when we scaled exponentially on the users and the number of uh, miles we were collecting, we, I think from probably in the low thousands to closer to 20,000 in, in a week. So we, we really worked very closely with our, our support team uh, and our solutions team to actually be able to show that yes, this is because if you think about it, it they're also managing infrastructure in the back end, right? So, um, but I think coming to 22, I think we are a little over that, uh, quite a bit, a little, little bit over that now. But yeah, we we had to scale that up. Yeah, it's about being able to show and pe being able to show what is critical and what is not. So we ran into some issues around also trying to turn off some uh, non-critical um, workloads uh, automatically as soon as we hit these peaks because it takes, there is a warm up time and things like that, yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, financially, I think um, the way I would put it is, if you use EC2 or ECS, you could almost, you may be able to do it, but you would end up with queues, right? Uh, one of our early goals is because we are incentivizing users to get points and gift cards, almost every user that downloaded the app wanted to see those first few trips. They were just anxious to see them almost in seconds. As soon as they finish the trip, they end the trip, they walk out of the car, they wanted to see how many points he got, right? So we had to make sure that no matter what scale we are at, we are going to be responding back within seconds. Um, I think we were averaging at six seconds um, across any of the trips, unless it is way too long, and then we send some kind of a commu Again, that's, those are the things I talk about, micro-interactions. We were sending a notification saying, hey, it's a longer trip. We will get back to you, and within probably the next few minutes or hour, depending on the EC2 um, backlog, we will get that. Um, from that standpoint, I think it's still it was still cheaper than running a multi probably a few hundred node cluster. Uh, so if you have to run it with that kind of quality of service, yeah, we have to probably run an 800,000 node cluster at peaks. And all of these, uh, these are not like micro instances, if you think about it, because they're all like high memory usage because of uh, the data payloads are higher. So that is also going to increase <laughs> if you want to parallelize most of the workloads in, in an EC2 environment. So, yeah. Sorry, it's hard to hear from. Yeah, I wish I could answer that very quickly, easily, but that is our data science. So we created some neural nets that take um, false or non-crash events, heartbreaking events, or near misses. Uh, that's all tagged reference, reference data sets. And we have also the real crashes from the test data as well as uh, from the field. So using all of that, uh, our models can predict if there is a real crash or not. Very high degree of accuracy right now. So it's, it's, an, it's magic in the science. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Monitor? Uh, I didn't get that. Mon. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we we are in the high hundreds now. So yes, it is kind of. That's what if you see one of one of the things that we learned is about being able to plan and modularize uh, and have some kind of uh, easy way so you're not um, you don't have multiple lambdas doing the same thing or duplicate, duplication and things like that. Um, so yeah, it, it is a little bit of a challenge, but I think we started modularizing based on, think about like API resources and trees and things like that, kind of something like, very much like that. It, it could get very hard, and there are projects and things like that, yes. But I mean, any big complex uh, code base will end up with that. With Lambda, the advantage is almost every function is kind of exposed, right? So you have at least some level of modularity that comes with it, right? 
just we have to embrace it and we start doing some level of <laughs> planning around it. <laughs> Any other questions? I'm on six minutes. Yes. How do we? <laughs> yes, um, th this is an this is an exercise for us to create science and create algorithms that we can make it safer. I think there is a whole business model behind it that we could uh, get into, but I, I, I'm sure we can do it probably on the side after the session. Yes, I'll be happy to answer that. We do have a lot of clients in the um, yeah, OEM space who would like to get it in the, I mean, imagine this. Many people who travel don't use um, their cars most of the time. So even if you have a nice car with something like OnStar or Embedded Telematics, whenever you're not driving, you don't have it. So, but your phone is something that's with you all the time. So there is value in having full assistance on it. And there is parents and teen monitoring and kids. There's a lot of things around it. And part of the demos you haven't seen is around messaging, automatically letting everyone, uh, your friends or family, whoever you choose to, based on your preferences, letting them know if something happens, right? Keeping everyone in the know. Most of the 911 dispatching systems, they do not do all of that. So we would be able to do all of that very seamlessly. Yeah, sorry, somebody else had a question here. Um, model uh, retraining, yes. Model, yeah. Model training, um, it is, a, the complex the model gets, it's very hard to use it because we have time limitations on it. Model retraining, yes. Any other questions? Oh, here. I love your hair. Yes. Um, I didn't, don't want to go into the details, but we can um, detect if you're on the same trip. Okay. So, yeah. Some pattern matching going on in the back, yeah. Yes, there is still problems with that, but you can see if there are two cars, what kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. So we created utility libraries, just like you can think about common shared libraries, shared code. And yes, that is one of the biggest debates that we had. How do we manage them? Do they have to be separate and things like that? So yes, we have shared utility libraries um, across the board. That is what uh, we call them our common sets of libraries for various things. So we did uh, started modularizing around science just um, pure transactional APIs and things like that, um, because science libraries need um, all the Python frameworks and things like that. So we are predominantly a Python shop now. Yes. <laughs> I wish I could talk, but I think it's a product <laughs> person's question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I won't do any good justice to that question. The app is free, yes. Right now, the app is free. The um, accident response is in a closed beta. It's, um, we're inviting people who have been providing us a lot of feedback. Um, and uh, right now, as, as I announced, um, is we're going to, anybody that is at reInvent and is signing up, um, we will be able to invite you to the beta. If you, or if, you are, if you already have the app, you can go into help and say, uh, I was at reInvent, I saw the session, and uh, we'll make sure that you will get into the beta. Uh, the, the challenge around it is, again, as you said, it is being able to staff our contact centers. Uh, being able to manage it because once we take that um, ownership of uh, being able to provide that response, we take a lot of lot of that uh, uh, liability as well. So, all right. So last two minutes. So, any questions? Thank you, folks. You have been great. Great questions. Thank you all. <laughs>